0: you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter has been, uh, I think I said this earlier, but 1 Peter has been a phenomenal epistle, a phenomenal book to walk through. Um, The cool thing is, is that we get to turn the page here after this Sunday and go to 2 Peter, which he has even uh, more commendation for us as believers. But This morning, we will look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 5 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 14. And the title of the message is Increase in Humility. Humility is not something that we necessarily like, but it is something that is necessary. Uh, One of the things about humility, we know that we've been studying this on Wednesday evenings. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, but without humility, it's impossible to have faith because you are saying that there is someone greater and higher and bigger and stronger, more powerful, more almighty than yourself, and you have to humble yourself before that one. And that one is the one who instills the gift of you uh, of faith. And so without humility, you can't have faith. Without faith, you can't please God. So this is very important. And Peter's going to hit the gamut. He's talking to these people who are scattered, these believers who are scattered abroad, and he's talking to people who have been through all these trials. And guys, trials humble us. Uh, They just do. Suffering humbles us. We've talked a lot about suffering. Suffering for righteousness' sake. But he's telling them even in the midst of this, and it seems a little redundant from Peter, that even though you've suffered, still be humble don't think too highly of yourselves, even though you of all people are most blessed. Guys, if you think about, think about or thought about for just a moment who we are in Christ, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, died on that cross for us, that he rose, that he promised us a resurrection and eternal life that he has given us grace beyond measure, that he holds us, that he secures us, that he seals us and fills us with his Holy Spirit so that the enemy can never snatch us from his hand. If you think about the promises that are all yours in the Scriptures, if you think about the glory that awaits you for all eternity, it was just sung about, that we get to be with him in heaven and that there are no scars in heaven save for the hands that hold us if you begin to think about all the riches that are yours as a joint heir with Jesus, of all the things that you've been forgiven of and set free from and abdicated of and and made right with God through, if you think about all the fiery furnaces you've been through in your life that he's brought you through again and again and again, all the prayers that he has answered, and even the very fact that we can humbly and yet boldly come before the throne of grace in the name of Jesus and ask whatever we will, If you think about some of the myriad riches that you have in Jesus, it could cause you to be a little proud. But let your boasting not be done except in him. Man, guys, we have it all, yet we fail to see it so often because so much is going on in this busy, hard life. Yet we are of all people most blessed And so sometimes it can get easy for us, especially when things are all going well for us, to get prideful. And that's a dangerous place for the believer to be. Peter begins in verse 5 talking to young people. I don't know who young people are anymore because I've been told that I'm no longer young. Uh, But, you know, when we have a young adult class, sometimes people in their 60s will come to it. So I guess it's a state of mind. I don't know. But likewise, he says, young people... In the same way, submit yourselves to your elders. Accept their authority is what he's saying there. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. This is going to be an important theme throughout these verses that we look at. The clothing of yourselves with humility. That's your job is to get dressed in this humility. And he says do it toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that in due time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or your cares upon him. You give him all your worry, all your your bitterness, your depression, your hurt, your pain. You throw it on him because he cares for you. He cares about you. Be sober-minded and alert, that is to stay watchful, because your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. This you can't do on your own strength, I promise you. Resist him by standing firm in your faith and in the knowledge that your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are undergoing or experiencing the same kinds of suffering. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself personally restore you. He will secure you or support you, strengthen you, establish you. To him be the glory and dominion or the power forever and ever. Amen. Through Sylvanus, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in this grace. The church in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings as does my son Mark. That's John Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that there's a single soul that doubts that you care about them this morning, that you would do away with all of their doubt and all their fear, that you would draw them to yourself this morning, God. Lord, we pray that if there's anybody in here this morning who uh, is really puffed up, Lord, I... I pray that if there's arrogance in me or in any single soul that's here, Lord, that you would knock that chip off of our shoulder and remind us to whom we belong. Lord, you have chosen us in Christ Jesus. You have called us to this. And Lord, you tell us that even in the midst of suffering, which if we're not facing it already as Christians, we will, that we are to still remain perseverant stand firm in our faith, and to remain humble. We know you're right. The world is wrong. And yet, Lord, we're to love the world patiently, to bear with them as you have been long-suffering and patient with us. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Lord, to be found faithful, to go to people that dislike us and, and, and say bad things about us and put us down and mock us and mock our Lord and mock our God, Lord, it's going to take some real humility to reach those folks. We won't do it in our own power because a lot of times we'll just want to say, forget them. If they don't believe, just forget them and write them off. But God, you didn't write us off. Man, you were patient with us. You kept seeking after us. We were the one you left the 99 behind for, and you came after us, God. And thank you, God, for doing that. There's a lot of testimonies in here that would say, but for the grace of God in me. I think everybody should be that. But Lord Jesus, we pray today that in us you would create a sense of humility that really develops within within us a meekness, which is a great power, a great victory, a great strength. We're over conquerors in Jesus, but we have all of that under control, that we don't think too highly of ourselves. But in everything that we get, that we have, that we do, every victory, every success, every mountaintop, every joy, we come back to you and say, thank you, God, but for your grace, I wouldn't have any of this. And that keeps us humble. It keeps us under you as servants, faithfully obeying you. And we pray that you would create more of that in us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Throughout the New Testament, there's this common theme that involves clothing. That involves garments, and a lot of times it's used to symbolize our redemption in Jesus Christ. We are clothed by the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 64 6 talks about the fact that even our best, our own righteousness, is as filthy rags before the Lord. That is like saying to stand before God on our own, apart from Jesus, we would be standing there before him naked and ashamed. Because we got nothing that compares. And yet, in the midst of this, uh, we see that the very first act of grace, redemptive grace in the Bible, Jesus took Adam and Eve and clothed them in his righteousness. He hid their nakedness and shame. That act foreshadows our being covered by the righteousness of Christ when we're saved. You see, at the very moment that you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the very moment that the Spirit draws you and you repent of your sin and believe by faith, you are covered by the righteousness of Christ. Satan cannot cross that line because he has no business with the righteousness of Jesus. You are sealed unto the day of redemption by His Holy Spirit. And guys, that's such a blessing for us. But it should humble us even more to know that Jesus has covered you with Himself when you come to Him. The raiment that Jesus provides, I mean, read the book of Revelation where it talks about the clothing and the brightness and the purity. The the raiment that Jesus covers you with is so much greater than anything that you could ever provide for yourself You know, I used to be a little bit ashamed uh, uh, of of this, and it's a sad testimony. My grandpa and grandma were very, very poor people. Um, They lived in Kibler, Arkansas. And I remember on Christmas being eight, nine years old and you're trying to be cool in school uh, that if you weren't wearing Nike or some name brand something, uh, a lot of times people would say something about your clothing. And I remember always thinking, man, I need, I need Air Jordan stuff to look cool. And I had some of it. Uh, but I remember my, my sweet grandma would always, because she had five kids and umpteen grandkids and umpteen, umpteen great grandkids, and they didn't have the money to go out and buy stuff for everybody, but they wanted to give presents to everybody. And I remember the old Purex boxes that she used to keep, and that's what she would put her presents that she had made for us and make sure that they were all wrapped, that each kid and grandkid and great grandkid had something. And I remember she used to make me things like shorts uh, out of fabric that she had bought and uh, they really weren't cool. I mean, they just weren't. God bless her. Uh, they were, they stood out. I mean, um, but I remember getting them and thinking, you know, you got to be polite. Thanks, grandma. I love this. Appreciate you. And then you go put them in a drawer and you never wear them because you don't want to get made fun of. And <clears throat> I look back at it now and I, it makes me want to cry, honestly, because I was embarrassed of those gifts that she was giving. And, um, Uh, something in me wants to look back and say, my goodness, man, the fact that she thought of me, the fact that she thought of each one of us, the fact that she put time and effort on her sewing machine and she made something for us to give to us when she didn't have to do anything at all. What a humbling gift that is. Sometimes you don't recognize the gifts until it's too late. Uh, What I wouldn't give now for my grandma to make me something. I would wear those shorts up here today and I'd show you, man. Y'all could laugh at me all you want to but I'd be proud of them. But I think about, I've been given some gifts like that and some beautiful gifts. People have made uh, blankets for us, especially when uh, Sperry and Declan were born. And people have made us things that they've put their hard work in To with their hands and with the love and with the joy that they had. And uh, they're things to behold, man. You show them up, people come by and say, oh, where'd you get that? And you get to say, so-and-so made this for us, and we love it so much. But even the greatest thing that's ever been made for you, even the most beautiful thing that's ever been created, no matter what your skill or talent level is, it is paltry in comparison with what Christ gives you. What he covers you with is so much more beautiful and brilliant and lasting. Moths can't destroy it. It won't ever be burnt. He's given you everything in himself. And so that should create in us a sense of humility. The glory that he covers for us. Guys, this is important. Humble people are usually content people. Humble people are usually hard-working people that set their nose to the grindstone and just go to work. Humble people are often the ones who submit to authority. He says, Do not only wear the garment of the righteousness of Christ, but also be clothed in humility. When you're humble, you're gifted greater grace. That's what this verse is saying humility sparks something in us that brings upon us greater grace from God. We don't have to be trumpeting ourselves. You don't have to let your right hand know what your left hand is giving. You don't have to tell people, hey, do you know what I did this morning? $1,000. I put a $1,000 in the offering plate. Man, praise God you did that, okay? But you know what? You're getting your gift. You're getting your return reward by letting everybody know, wow, what a great Christian that they're giving so much. You don't have to sound a trumpet for the good deeds you do. There's people out here that we don't know about, people that aren't even able to be in here this morning, people in other churches all around us that are doing things, and we never know about them, but the Bible says great is their reward in heaven. The beauty of it is the more humble you are, the greater the servant you become. The greater the servant you are, the greater grace you receive. The greater grace you receive, the more blessings you can bestow on others. And it's this cool cycle. But people don't have to know everything about everything you do. Because we're not doing it for them, we're doing it unto the Lord. And the recipients of it are so many others. And so, you get greater grace when you're humble. But when you're proud, what happens? God resists you. Well, that's a scary place to be. I don't want to be in a resistance battle with the Lord. We will lose that every time. So our call is to obey him. And obe- obedience means submitting to his mighty hand. Man, God's hand holds everything in existence. If God were for a moment to remove his hand of blessing upon this earth, we think it's bad now, it would go to hell quick. God holds all things, all things subsist by the might of his hand. And guys, that hand he opposes the proud with, but he gives and extends grace to the humble and therefore submit. It means you acknowledge him as the boss of your life. You bow to his eternal authority over you. You do what is pleasing to him. He promises that when you do this in due time, he will exalt you. The, the, low, the, the economy of God is a crazy one. The first will be last. The last will be first. The poor will be rich. The rich will be poor. So on and so forth. Read the Beatitudes. But one of the craziest things about the economy of God is this. The, the lowness, the servanthood of which you give your life. Look at Jesus. Is greater exaltation when the time comes. And it's not our time. It's not our timing, man. I I wish it would happen now. I'm impatient. I'm like like Peter. I really am. A lot of y'all are like Peter too. We want it now. But in God's time, at the appropriate time he chooses, not our timing but his, when God appoints that moment, you guys who are obedient to him, who've humbled yourself before him, will be, promise, exalted. That means he will share the glory of his son with you. And that's a great glory. Verse 7 tells us to be casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I'll tell you something about this in the Greek. um, This word, I don't know what your Bible says. If it says cast, you might have your Bible open right there in verse 7. Does it say cast? Cast or be casting? Okay, The idea here is that this is an aorist active participle. That means nothing to most people. Okay, I get that. But the definition of an aorist active participle is this. It expresses action without indicating its completion. You know what that means? Constant, continual, ongoing. Be casting be ye casting always. Don't stop casting. You're casting the past, you're casting now, you keep casting in the future, casting all your care upon him. He, he, God doesn't man, there ain't nothing too big for our God. Nothing is too minuscule. If it bothers us, we can confess it and bring it to him and throw it upon his shoulders. And he says he'll willingly gladly take it. And so this idea here is not a one-time release of worry or fear or doubt or dread. It's like the fisherman who keeps on repeatedly casting his nets to catch fish. You're out there, man, y'all been fishing. That's what the boys were up here talking to me about. Sperry was standing up. He got up at one point in the song. He's like, I want to take my BB gun. And he's also, can we go fishing today? You know? And I'm like, yeah, we can go fishing. Well, I promise we're going to catch a lot more sticks than we're going to catch anything else. But the lesson in this is, man, I'm going to, you have to show him. I, I don't know if some of you guys are like, cast it out there, reel it in as fast as you can. Cast it out there, reel it in as fast as you can. Or some of y'all are bobber fishers and you cast it out there, set it on a pole, sit back and watch the bobber move. The idea here is if you're not catching fish, to catch fish, you have to keep casting. Do it again. If you're under duress, if you're in a storm and you need help, Keep throwing that upon God. Keep asking him. And so whatever weighs you down, it needs to be continuously, constantly recast before the God who takes that weight and lifts us up again. I think so many people today are driven by despair because they have so many burdens that weigh so heavily upon them. We live in a hard world. Many live in quiet desperation because they don't think anybody cares But we belong to Christ and we have a God who intimately, passionately cares for us. He longs to take the weights of our life, the worries of our lives in which we sink and faithfully pick us up and place us back on solid ground again and again. God never tires of rescuing you. I know there's been times in my life where i have been, oh God, it's me again. Yeah, I screwed up again, God. And I, I want to say I'm sorry. And God doesn't say, "Up, oh, that Yeah, looks like uh, three thousandth time. I'm over. I'm done with you now. Okay." God's grace is so consistent and continuous throughout our lives. Now you better be learning from your sin and mistakes. Uh, but it, it's not. There's no set limit. No seventy times seven even to say. You are faltering. You're under a heavy burden. God continues to take it. He never stops. He never tires of rescuing us. And I'll tell you guys this, no one has ever cared for you like Jesus has. Don't ever, ever stop going to him with your stuff. The point of the message today is if you're going to increase in humility, if you're going to grow in humility, you have to learn to submit to the Lord. I don't know how many times some of us are so stubborn, we would say, okay, uh, those, I don't think those were real rocks back there, but if they were real rocks, I, I think I can beat my head against them and eventually I'm going to break through. You can't break through with God doing that. It's not about your own power. Stop resisting. Start submitting. Allow the humility of God to work out the grace of God in your life. If you don't, I think I wrote this up here, if you do not learn, what happens? you'll experience prolonged suffering. You draw your suffering out the more you resist the Lord. You experience hopelessness, which leads to depression and and other illnesses. You have weakness in your life. You're not able to do certain things. It leads to loneliness. If you keep on resisting the Lord, you feel like even the people around you have forsaken you and even God's forsaken you. This heavy weight that's self-inflicted Man, that's what resistance does. Humility teaches us submission. I fall under the glory and the authority and the sovereignty of God. And I don't experience those things. At least they're not self-inflicted in my life. Throw your cares upon God. It doesn't matter how weak or weary you may be. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Even when you're tired... God supplies the grace, the strength, and it comes from him to keep casting, keep casting, keep casting. You know, when you're tired and you're beat up and you're doing all this on your own, it's very difficult to run from a prowling, roaring lion. And this is what he's leading to. Sobriety, which means alertness. Man, it's easy to get intoxicated with the world, isn't it? I mean, the next marketing thing, the next thing you got to buy, the way you got to look, we called it keeping up with the Joneses. It's easy to get intoxicated with the things of the world. When you get intoxicated with the things of the world, you become inert. You don't move very quickly spiritually. Your, Your hope and your desires are in the fleshly things, the carnal things. But spiritual sobriety means you stay alert. You have to stay alert because there's a spiritual battle always raging around you. I've said this so many times. I think we would be scared into passing out, stiffness, fainting, if we could see the battle that was raging around us with the spiritual angels and the demons, with the fight that's happening in this world around us. If we had spiritual eyes and heavenly eyes and were able to see those things, we would be scared. We would change the way we live in the course of our lives. But here's the thing about the spiritual battle. Satan is never to be taken for granted. He's a master at exploiting us, especially when we're weak and tired. We were talking, I was talking with a mentor of mine this last week, and he says, when do you most often fall victim? When are you most often tempted? I was like, it's usually after a spiritual victory or when I'm tired or alone. Well, Satan knows that about you. We've got to stay alert, especially in those moments, because that's when we're most prone to fall. God, on the other hand, wants to awaken us to the reality of his power. He wants us to understand his presence is real so we'll avoid being eaten alive. God's energizing us so we can fight and be freed. Satan is our adversary, you never take him for granted. He is powerful and diligent. Satan is deceived, but he is not stupid. Satan knows the buttons to push. We said this Wednesday night. For thousands and thousands of years, he has known the nature of man. He hasn't invented any new tricks. We're still doing the same dumb things we've always done we're still making the same mistakes we've always made. We're still falling victim to the same problems we've always fallen victim to. Satan knows how to play you. He knows how to entice you. He knows how to tempt you. He knows how to trip you. You've got to be awake to this. Satan's always trying to stand between you and God. He only wants you to be ruined and humiliated. He wants your destruction. Jesus said, I've come so that you might have life and abundantly, but the enemy has come only to what? Steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. A lot of times I'll say, steal, kill, and destroy, just because that's the way it sounds when you're saying it fast. But that's what he wants for you. Satan has nobody's best interest in mind. He'll offer you gold, you'll take it, and what do you find? It's empty. It's worthless. He'll offer you a sexual relationship. He'll offer you some fantasy. He'll offer you something. And you take those things and they're always empty. But not so with God. You know, I I hadn't thought about this in a while, but I did as I was studying this. Um, It is hard being a Christian in this world. And we all know that. Um One of the reasons why it's so difficult, I think, though, being a Christian is that before we were saved, we weren't being pursued by Satan. Think about this. There was a willingness to obey Satan. There was little conflict with us and Satan because we were no threat to him. He had us. We were doing his bidding, whether we were conscious of it or not. But as One of his prizes, he was content to leave us in our destruction. You know, the natural person doesn't have to do anything at all once the day they're born to go to hell. That's where you're headed, apart from an intervention from the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And Satan's fine to leave you there. But once you come to God... Man, he's angry. He's upset. He's always trying to entice you and tempt you. He's always hurling accusations, always casting lines of deception upon you. He wants to discredit you and disrobe you and destroy you. He wants you to look bad so that he can ruin your witness and your testimony so that you'll tell nobody else about Jesus. And some of us live there. A lot of us are crippled by Satan's lies This war that's been waged for our souls is going on. But Christ has won it. And if Christ is your Savior, okay, this humbling, beautiful thought that leads you to subservience and submission, then you're not a victim. I don't know how many people live in this victim mentality. We're victors in Christ. We're over conquerors. And so Peter's saying here the best way to resist the devil is to be deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. You ever watch National Geographic, I've been to the zoo, seen a lion? A lion can very easily climb a tree. In fact, a lot of times they'll drag their prey that they've killed up into the tree to devour it. But a lion isn't very good about digging up a tree. I don't know that they waste their time on that. And my point is this, Satan will still climb into your life. He'll still whisper things to you, try to distract you, try to break you, destroy you, knock you down. There's still going to be whispers. I mean, we get those all the time. There's still going to be lies. There's still going to be things that are shiny and deceptive. But he doesn't go down to the roots because he knows that that's not much use to a lion. And when our roots are deeply, firmly planted in Christ... The enemy of our souls isn't going to go down there because he knows that's a battle he loses every time. Strength. Strong roots. You know, Peter says something here. He says, uh, your problems are not unique. (laughs) Where was it? He said that. Um, The knowledge... Oh, resist him, standing firm in your faith and in the knowledge that your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. A lot of times we have these things that we call first world problems. You know of any first world problems? We got a bunch of them, don't we? Ah, the internet's too slow. Mickey came up this morning and uh, I'm thankful it's working, but he said the screens, we're having trouble with the, the computers this morning. They've already uh, reset twice this morning, and um, we're sitting there uh, talking to Marvin and said, you know what, I think they had church before we had screens. We'd be okay. <laughs> now, we like our first world problems, like when the air conditioning goes out. Right, Kathy? Um. <laughs> But there are problems that we have not only lived without in the past, but we don't have to have to be successful, faithful Christians. And so here's the crazy thing. There are a lot of things that are real problems in life. But even our realist problems aren't unique to us. And it's not to minimize anybody's suffering. It's not to minimize anybody's problems. Because suffering is the course of things in this sin-sick, dark world. But what Peter wrote back in 1 Peter 4.12 is he, he, he told us to not be surprised concerning the fiery trials we go to, as though something strange were happening to you alone. Guys, it's not just us. Verse 10 says, In spite of all of this, may the God of all grace, not some grace, who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a little while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. He's the God of all grace. This involves your work, and this is where I'm going to leave it. Paul sent a letter from Rome with a man named Silvanus, or you might know him as Silas. I'm sorry, Peter sent the letter with Silas. And he said, take this to those believers who have been run off from their homes. Find a church there and make sure that it gets to them. Make sure that it's preached and taught and studied and practiced. And let them take that letter and make a circle of it with other believers and little communities of believers that are also suffering and being persecuted and hurting. And the letter found its mark, and we have it. It's called the Epistle of 1 Peter. And in that letter... He told us all these things that he's told us in these five chapters. But he tells us more than anything. Guys, your life's hard. It may get harder. You're surrounded on all sides by wolves, people that hate the name of Jesus. You live in a dark, sin-sick world. And you flash forward 2,000 years, and it's just like he was writing to us today. And he says, if you're going to increase in any blessing in life, it's going to take you getting low before the Lord, trusting the Lord, humbling yourself before the Lord, recognizing the goodness of God, living there daily, putting on humility so that you'll have the faith to pray even for your enemies and to trust God even when things aren't going well for you. He closed with this benediction in verse 11. Verse 11. Soli Deo Gloria. To God be the glory. Brothers and sisters, have you been through a very, very dark valley and still been able to say, God, in spite of it all, to you be the glory? A proud person cannot say that, but a humble person can. Christ is trying to create in us not only pure hearts, but humble hearts. Would you pray with me? You know, Jesus did not have any earthly riches to leave to anybody, but he left a legacy. He left a legacy of peace with God. He left a legacy where we could be robed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ. Even the only thing that Jesus had was his robe, and that was stripped of him and, and gambled for at the foot of the cross under his lifeless body. He left us peace, and he said in John fourteen, twenty-seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Dear God, I pray that we all in this room and who are listening know the Prince of Peace. Lord, that we have the inheritance of his peace. That we would accept and not refuse. That we would submit to and not resist this call to humility in our lives. Because Satan's going to keep trying to attack and beat us up. The world we live in is still going to be dark and full of hatred. But in Jesus... Lord, if we can live under the humility and the servants, service and the obedience to Jesus, my goodness, how it's going to go for us. Lord, we praise your name this morning. I don't think there are a lot of people in here that are so full of themselves that they don't look at the needs of others. But I do think sometimes we try to do it ourselves. And that's pride. I think sometimes... We don't seek you or your will or what your plans are for our lives, and that's pride. I think sometimes, God, we think we know best, and we just go with what we know rather than bowing our, our knee to you, and that's pride. I think sometimes, Lord, we go our own way. We choose our own path, and that's pride. And I think, Lord, sometimes we take the glory and the credit for things that get done, and that's pride. Lord, no matter what it manifests itself as, no matter what we're doing, this morning I pray that even if it's painful, it's beneficial that you would humble each of us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to lower our heads and to bow our knees. Help us to be the footwashers of the world that you proved yourself to be. Help us to serve. Help us to take the gospel. Help us to go. Help us to be doers of the word. It's all going to require humility as a servant. We're bond servants of Jesus. God, call us daily to put on humility and to take off pride. We're not the world's welcome mat where they wipe our feet on us. But Lord, I pray that I'd be willing to get a little bit dirty if it meant leading somebody to Jesus. I pray that my knees will get a little bit calloused if it meant changing the way the world was. I pray that my fingernails will get a little bit broken if it meant reaching out to help somebody. I pray, Lord God, that we don't think we're ever greater than you, our master, that you would lead us into greater service. Whether it's missions, whether it's giving, whether it's singing. I know that wasn't comfortable for little Aaron to get up here and sing this morning. But my goodness, what a blessing. Lead us to the things that we wouldn't normally choose for ourselves so that we would do those things for your glory and honor and praise. Keep us in the right spot, which is under your almighty hand. Protect us, use us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.